Welcome to the KDB Review Podcast. This is episode 21 of season 3, and I'm your host as always, Andy Davis. We've got a really interesting episode for you this week as we look into how kitchens can help people live better lives. Now, the idea that your kitchen can improve your quality of life may sound a little bit fanciful, but actually the kitchen is becoming the central hub that plays a massive part in how sustainably you can live day to day, how healthy you are in terms of what you eat, and how you cook and how happy you are in the space where you and your family spend most of your time. And all those elements have become more and more acute and front of consumers' minds thanks to the pandemic and the lockdowns. But the question is, are retailers, designers and manufacturers doing enough to help people lead better lives in this way? Is there enough broad understanding of how people are living their lives and what motivates them? So the question we're asking here is whether the kitchen industry is ahead of or behind the consumer. I'll be discussing all this with Erica Hussein, a better life consultant for kitchen, bathroom and home retailer Daytrue, based here in London. Now, this was originally recorded for a series of webinars that Hetic hosted as part of its Excellent Experience Days program a few months ago. I'm sure many of you will have seen at least some of them. But it was such an interesting chat that I thought it was worth putting it up here as a podcast episode. So thank you to Hetic for giving me the nod to do that. It was recorded over Zoom, so the audio quality isn't quite as good as I usually try and do it. But I hope you won't notice, and it is worth the trouble. But first... Entries are flooding in for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2022. You've only got a few weeks left, so make sure you don't miss out. If you're a retailer, a designer, installer or supplier, we have categories for you. It's totally free to enter, but what many don't know at this stage is that, unlike other awards, if you're shortlisted, you get to come to the event in March for free too. So the closing date is November the 16th, and there will be no extensions. So head over to kbbreview.com forward slash awards to get all the details. Do it now. So as promised, let's talk now to Erica Hussein, who is a Better Life Consultant at Day True in London. Hello, Erica. Hello, Andrew. That's a very sunny showroom you're in. I'm assuming that's a showroom and not your house. It is. It is the top floor of the Wimbledon showroom. I'm sitting in the flat where everyone wants to live. Oh, very nice. Now, tell us a little bit about Daytrue to begin with, and then tell us exactly what a Better Life Consultant does and how it fits into a kitchen and bathroom retail outfit. So we are a kitchen, bathroom and home retail outfit. We design all of those things. We do all the bits that uh, Tony describes it as if you turn a house upside down and shook it, all the bits that stay put is kind of what we do. Floors, lighting, everything. My background has been in before here in cooking, professionally teaching um, and then I shifted onto the design side I took, I took a degree in kitchen design um, at Bucks with Johnny Gray and others and my role here is to inform the design side in terms of how people use their space how people feel in their space um, and it's working in all those bits that we might call wellness that incorporate sustainability the things that we're talking about so it's a sort of it's a it's a complementary role as part of a team effort to get this right for people so that when they when we design something for them it's not just about the furniture and the appliances it's about how they will feel and use this space and we've explored that with them and made it fit does that work that works. <laughs> Look, it's, it's such an interesting concept to kind of separate that out as, as its own job function I mean a lot of designers will, will say look that's the kind of thing they do anyway but what you're doing here is you're examining some wider trends some wider macro initiatives that are coming through and seeing how eventually they will filter down into as you say how, how people use their kitchens 
I mean, we've got a lot. We've got so many things to talk about here today. But I want to start with what I think is the overriding driver behind so many of these trends. And it's not a pandemic, although that is clearly part of it. It's about sustainable living. It's about how kitchens can be used as part of day-to-day sustainable living. I think we've seen so much about how the products that make up a kitchen are sustainable, you know, their recyclability, the logistics of moving them around, the, the manufacturing process itself. We hear a lot about that. But I don't really feel there's been a lot of discussion on how easy it is for designers, the people coming up with the, the projects and rooms themselves, to help their clients live day-to-day sustainable lifestyles. What do you think? I think that's true. And I think, uh, I think it's sort of a bit of a double-edged piece because there's a certain amount that people are becoming more aware that they would like to live more sustainably. That word is huge, encompasses a lot. I think they, don't, they haven't necessarily nailed down exactly how they can do that. So I think there's an, a sort of educative piece as well where we can help people learn how to do that. We, have, we bear a little bit of responsibility there, I believe, in, in helping people to figure that out. So like you said, it's not just about how long is your oven going to last or how efficient is it or how much heat is it generating into a room. It's, it's about everything that you bring into that kitchen, how you use it, how you think about it, how you value it. And so, you know, it's all about ways of shopping, ways of cooking, ways of storing and ways of not wasting resources that are precious to the planet. Well, let's start with the, let's start with the, with the stuff you bring into the kitchen first. Let's look at how people are shopped and the kind of food and products they're buying, because that is distinctly changing. And, and perhaps the pandemic has sped up a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. But it is definitely changing, isn't it? Yeah, definitely changing. I think, we, you know, if you talked a few years ago about plant-based diets, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have used that language. It would have been vegan. It would have been a bit sort of niche. And now that's increasingly coming into the conversation. People are beginning to understand that, that how we eat, what we eat, where it came from has an impact on the planet, on that bigger climate crisis emergency piece. So I think people are becoming much more aware of that and much more open to embracing it at some level or another. On a practical level, that means a lot more fresh food, a lot more locally sourced food, food that perhaps doesn't have the the longevity as packaged food does. And all of these things together clearly affect how you're going to store them when you get them to your kitchen before you actually uh, use them. So let's sort of touch a little bit on storage, because obviously kitchens, that's fundamentally what a kitchen is. It's where you keep stuff, right? It's got cupboards in it and shelves and doors, and that's basically what a kitchen is. But, of course, that is changing all the time. So what, what, what do you think? How would you inform those designers who are doing those projects on what they could or should be looking at when it comes to this storage of, of food and how food is changing and what people buy? I think first we have to have that conversation with every individual person who comes in and discover what it is they're doing, what their habits are. Um, then you have to look at, is there, is there an area where you, you're looking towards the future, future-proofing of this kitchen in terms of um, how they might be behaving in the not-too-distant future, so how this kitchen has to adapt for that. You have to think about you know, where they're storing things appropriately, so if they're bringing a lot more fresh foods, is it all going to go in the fridge? If you're going to put it in cupboards, how are you going to store it? Have you got room to store it in particular areas of the house that are appropriate? And and also, you know, some of it is for, like, seeing the food is a good thing. It's a good way to help not wasting it. So whether that's within a fridge space 
or on a counter surface because it's appropriate to keep it there. I think those things are all important to the design. I mean, design incorporates an awful lot. Yeah, because I think, you know, historically speaking, the stuff you keep in the cupboard and the stuff you keep in the fridge. And that's basically the very rough dividing line between them. But actually what we're talking about here is that there's somewhere in between here, isn't there? The stuff yeah. that you need to keep cool, but not necessarily refrigerate, but will spoil if you put it in the cupboard very quickly. So yeah. I'll, you know, back in the day, my grandmother had a pantry. And I know Johnny Gray, for example, who's given one of these talks as well, he, he's, a, he's a big advocate of the larder and the pantry. But is, is this a realistic thing to bring back something quite as, as old-fashioned as that? I think it is, and I think it's really useful to bring in that language because I think it helps people to understand it better. Um, I think it's complicated because we use those words interchangeably, typically, or people tend to think of pantries as big walk-in spaces or larders as that. For me, I like to think of a pantry as sort of dry store for things that are non-perishable. That could be that could be cups and plates as well if it's a big enough space, um, but foodstuffs. A larder is, like you say, cool but not chilled. So, and I think the fridge technology tends to be cold. And there's one appliance that I know of on the market, the Fisher & Paykel adaptable cool drawer, for example, that has a pantry setting as an option, which allows you to keep things at a warmer temperature, but not room temperature. So butter, eggs, those kind of things that don't benefit really from being in the fridge. But there aren't many options for that. So I think it's that's something that we need to think about as well and question, you know, wine fridges are hugely sophisticated, multiple temperatures, different zones. Maybe maybe we could be looking at that kind of technology coming in the future for the way we store food too. Yeah, and I guess it's understanding how much space is required for what. Because as you say, a lot of fridges will have a drawer that, that has certain settings. But actually, what we're talking about here is people are buying more and more and more of that stuff. And actually... The relative space available is, is a bit skew with for, for, for the way that people are shopping and the way that people are cooking now. I mean, a big part of it as well for me is about people, you know, they are cooking more. They are they are planning their meals out there, cooking, they're buying the ingredients that they want. And obviously a good kitchen designer will always ask if people are keen cooks or not. But it's whether or not they then take that all the way to how they store and how they store that food and store those ingredients in the first place, plus all the spices and everything else that goes along with them. Do you think that we are helping people plan their meals in this way? I think we could be. I mean, I think there's lots of people out there trying to help people with meal planning. And like you say, people have been forced to cook more recently because it's harder to get food out. Um, and some people have really embraced that. Some people are looking forward to not having to do so much of it. But I, I do think there is, yeah, definitely a role for thinking about how you how you can plan ahead. I mean, we we have all these technologies that we're sort of looking at in terms of, you know, sous vide functions and things we've been talking about for a long time, things that have, have filtered down from professional levels that people don't really understand and kind of think is a bit like we don't need to do that because they understand ovens as hot boxes. But actually, when you look at the tech that's available, the way we store food, whether you vacuum seal it, that actually makes it last longer it takes up less space you could actually file frozen food almost like a filing cabinet and and have things ready done that you can then take out and put in an oven so I think all of that kind of stuff there's a there's a huge bit of education there because there's a leap of faith and it all seems terribly complicated if you don't understand it but once you do it's very simple I think we have a role in understanding it ourselves first as designers so that we can actually talk in real terms rather than just in sort of marketing speak about benefits that are a bit abstract. Well, one of the things that's changed, I think, in the pandemic has definitely accelerated this, is people buying things in bulk. 
So they were desperate to reduce the amount of packaging that they bring into the house. So one of the things they've done is they buy things in bulk, whether that's you know enormous things of washing up liquid or whatever it is. That's all got to be stored somewhere. And the kitchens traditionally aren't built to bulk store things. No. And secondly, I think there's this trend that's starting now for refillable containers. So for breakfast cereal, for things like that, that you take your container to the shop, the shop fills it up and you bring it back again. And again, you've got to have that kind of storage for those kind of containers too. And again, I don't see that being talked about very much when it comes to how kitchens are designed. And I think that's partly because the storage solutions that are around out there at the moment are not the ones that you know necessarily speak to you. So people are doing a little bit of ad hoc, trying to figure it out for themselves. I mean, back in the day, they used to sort of have these big bins dedicated to certain types of produce, whatever, particularly in America, sort of farming communities and things. They were being advised on that stuff. So maybe there's a maybe there's a desire to return to some of that sort of thing. I think you were talking about cleaning products in bulk and breakfast cereals. But, you know, the thing we saw over the pandemic was flour, that shortage. And A, you know, you, you couldn't buy it in the supermarket. And B, if you could buy it, it had been de- destined for a restaurant. So it was now in a much bigger bag. And I think people don't understand that things have, even within that range of products, there's different shelf lives. There's different ways of storing it that make it, that keep it longer. You know, you can actually chill flour <laughs> and it'll last longer. So all of that sort of, all of that sort of stuff, I think there's a, there's a huge amount of, of learning we have to do in order to, actually respond to needs that people don't realize they have yet that they like you say they're doing they're behaving in a particular way and we haven't caught up yet with how to make that work and that's dangerous when the the consumer trends get ahead of the product trends i think that's when it gets dangerous i think the product should always be leading the consumer and helping the consumer down the road they want to go on but of course everything's been accelerated so much in the past year and a half that you know it's going to take a while for everything to catch up that brings us on a little bit to waste because waste is such an important thing. There's, there's the waste that's the packaging that you, you know, the stuff that goes in your recycling bin. And then there's the food waste, which is a very separate thing. But we throw so much food away, which is obscene, really. And then, of course, there's the, the recycling waste, which there's now so much of that I'm constantly running in and out of my garden with my tiny little recycling bin to empty it. And, and again, I don't see enough conversation about where all this waste goes when, when you're generating it. I think the first part of that is the, the pandemic-related little bit is, well, not little, it's huge, but it's in terms of things being accelerated or behaviours changing, and we have yet to see whether those are changes that are going to endure, like the packaging and stuff, we were buying stuff by post, so maybe we have more recycling and maybe that's a temporary thing, maybe it's going to carry on, and we don't yet know. But yes, we have to figure out ways of managing the dry stuff, if you like, and the food waste, I think, is, is something that's been bubbling under for a very long time and people have not been aware of or haven't liked to think about. So there is that sort of the bit where you're getting rid of stuff that you can't eat for one reason or another and encouraging people into disposing of that correctly. So your, your caddy bins and all that kind of stuff, you have to incorporate that into the design. It's no longer okay for people to come in and say, I just want one bin. You know, it is complicated. It is involved. And I think that's all part of that bigger sustainability conversation as well again we have to educate ourselves and educate other people why this is important and then there's the other piece of how much you're bringing into the house and how much we casually waste just because we didn't get around to eating it on time or didn't store it properly or didn't see it or because of the best before and sell by dates and things and people being hidebound by somebody else's interpretation of what's good and what isn't 
And the other pandemic related piece that we haven't touched on is that whole, the, it's part of the plant-based thing as well, that sort of fermentation, all that kind of thing. We're seeing mm. food differently, we're understanding taste differently and we're valuing it differently. So I think that's another piece of the puzzle that we could also be bringing into the design side. Well, let's move on from the sustainable stuff, because that does lead us very nicely onto the, the, the slightly more ethereal wellness element of how a kitchen can help you live a better life. And it's a very fanciful word, wellness. And, and you, you know, I understand how people might be very cynical about it. But if, if this pandemic's taught us anything, it's, just, it's how you feel is so incredibly important. And it is a, it is a very tangible and measurable thing and the kitchen you spend so much time in there and that environment needs to be one that you feel comfortable and happy in it's as simple as that and there are things that designers can do to help with that yeah and some of it, some of it is, is stuff that the designers think about anyway but perhaps they don't think of it in in this context so mm-hmm. lighting for example is a, is a very interesting one because obviously lighting is incredibly important and lighting plans and lighting designs are very important but I don't think People don't really think of it in a, in a wellness perspective, do they? No. And I think, again, we've got the language there. The wellness has gone a bit sort of Gwyneth Paltrow, maybe. <laughs> or we tend to think of it in terms of spa spaces. But you're right. It's about well-being. It's about health. And lighting is huge because that's a sort of evolutionary piece of our biology, that, that um, chronobiology, if you like, the circadian rhythms, how we how we feel alert, how our sleep patterns are affected, those kind of elements the lighting design world is very into all of that at the moment and trying to figure out their language, their standards, and how they encourage people to think much more carefully about how artificial light makes us feel. But also the starting point is always natural light. So I think lighting has tend to be thought of in terms of task or decorative. And actually there's a, there's a huge piece of sort of, I think they call it melanopic design pieces there but it's it it affects us in ways that literally how we wake how we sleep how we feel how our hormones are regulated lighting plays an immense part in our biology and our wellness so it's it's huge and it's rapidly emerging and developing and being researched and i think it's going to become increasingly interesting how we manage that i think an extension of this is how the different uses of the kitchen change throughout the day. And that's no, and that's always been the case, of course. But it's never been more obvious than it has during this pandemic when we're all there all the time together, yes. all the time, right? But this idea of switching uses, this multi-use space, it's actually it's, it's a room designed for food and for cooking, but actually it, it only does that for quite a small part of the day. And the rest of the day, it's a classroom, it's an office, it's a family space, it's somewhere where you can play, you can argue, and all these things that everyone's been doing under one roof for the first time together, that we're so used to the, the, the timetable of use. People come and go past each other in the past, but now this pandemic has shown what happens if we're all in the, in the same space together. And that's another part that's going to come through more and more as well, isn't it? This multi, it really is a multi-use space, and how you design it has such an effect on how effective it is as a multi-use space. And it's, it's about sharing space. So it's really about asking the question, like, who is using this space and when and how and why? What services do you need? How do you need places to be lit? How can they be divided up? It's, it's all of those things. I mean, I think Johnny's keynote was very, very clear on a lot of that stuff as well. He does a lot of the multi-generational stuff. And I think it's very key, even if you're not living with huge multiple generations, it might just be an ordinary family or two people sharing. I think all of that... Um, information and knowledge is useful to to add into the design but even 
Yeah, I go to a lot of kitchen showrooms, as you can imagine. And even in those showrooms, the, the kitchens are set up very much as a cooking space. You know, the cupboards are all full of tins. They're very much used as a cookery demonstration zone and that kind of thing. And I don't, I wish I saw more of the, the multi-use element of it demonstrated within those sales environments. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think um, increasingly that's certainly the ones that we have here, the spaces we have here are shared spaces and multiple use. And you open the doors and drawers here, you'll find different, you know, according to a showroom. So it might be full of samples because that's, <laughs> that's something somebody's using here. But equally, if that was at home, it could be full of, I don't know, colouring pencils and paper or whatever it is that you're using for kids or, you know, where does the dog food go? All of that sort of stuff. <laughs> that's lighting. But something as simple as air quality plays a big part mm-hmm. in uh, in this wellness element of things. And that is a very controllable thing. We're used to extraction when you're cooking, again, when you're cooking, but you never really consider the air quality for the other multi-use elements of it. No, you don't. And I think I think that's another pandemic-related awareness, the ventilation. Opening windows has been huge. And, you know, Who'd have thought? Yeah. As simple as that, you can open a window and you get a cross-draft and a breeze, and it doesn't just affect the air inside the room. It affects... Like you hear the birds singing, you can hear, I'm not here, because I'm in Wimbledon, I can hear <laughs> But, I mean, well, you can in parts of Wimbledon, shouldn't be, shouldn't say things like that. But it affects so many more things than just whether or not you have a window. Whether you can open it makes a difference. And I think there's room within urban spaces as well to consider mechanical options for filtering, you know, air quality, but also plant life in here will makes a difference mm. they breathe in and out too and and complement our breathing in and out this is the concept known as biophilia and biophilia is a kind of made-up scientific name for effectively bringing the outside in for, for incorporating nature and the suggestion of nature into domestic and urban spaces yeah, so, so some of it's as literal as putting plants in a room but it's much more it goes much further than that as well doesn't it yeah, it does. And they've got a huge developed pattern language that goes around that as well. So it's, again, opening windows is a biophilic element in a design. But the materials that you have around you, um, what they look like, what they feel like, how they behave, you know, some, some materials that you use are going to be giving, they're, they're off-gassing, is the technical term, I think, but give off things that are not good for us. So it's an understanding and an awareness of all of those elements. What we see, what we hear, what we smell within a space all come within that biophilic umbrella. It's important to us because it's, it's an evolutionary piece for us. You know, we've evolved to thrive in environments where these things are available to us. And so bringing those into the interiors is, is helping us to live well. What I find so fascinating about all this stuff is, and this is where I get very conceptual here, so bear with me, is that everything we thought the future would be 40 years ago, you know, when I was 10, 9, 10 years old, I thought the future was all going to be, you know, chrome and glass and people driving rocket cars. But actually, the way it's going, we're actually regressing in many ways of this. You know, we are... The, the way that design works is much more about natural shapes and curves and, and this element of bringing nature into everything. And we're much more aware of our uh, of our surroundings than perhaps we thought we would be in the future, although we are now living in the future. And we are using technology to almost regress in certain ways. And that 
you know, the fact that we're talking about pantries and larders in 2021 just, just sort of demonstrates that, that perhaps there were some fundamental ideas that we didn't need to change in the first place. Yeah, I think it is. It's a reconnection with, you know, the future looks shiny and bright, the Jetsons days. We still look back. We look back on that with nostalgia. That's bizarre, isn't it? We're looking back on that futuristic vision in a nostalgic way now. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think it's just we, we've become aware that we have, we have been disconnected from things that are important to us and we didn't realise how important they were to us. And the kitchen itself, while it's, it's a series of boxes stuck to the wall, it is a central space where all this stuff happens. And yes, perhaps we overthink it a bit sometimes in these circumstances, but I do think it is a, com- it is a community space within your home and we've sort of rediscovered community a little bit during this whole pandemic, not just our literal community around us, but also inside our house as well. No, I think we've completely discovered, rediscovered the importance of community. You take it away from people and you find out what you miss. And like you say, the, the local community, which means you're reconnecting with shops again, that comes back to that sort of local sourcing of, you know, how you shop and how you do things. All of those things have become important and the kitchen, I think, you know, we're doing it an injustice, calling it boxes against the wall, it kind of is, but it isn't, <laughs> because we're trying to place them carefully. You know, the furniture is designed carefully to accommodate the behaviours in that space. It's, it, it's, you know, that's the important, people are the important thing in this space. How are they going to move around it? How are they going to feel in it? How are they going to use it? What are they using it for? And how can we make that work with them rather than just they have to work with it? I think that's that's the point where I came in. Yeah. Doing the workarounds in kitchens that were just the pieces are there, all the working elements are there, and now you've got to figure out how to how to make that work for you. But it it, it should be the other way around. I mean, this is very brilliantly conceptual, and I love it for that reason. But what's it like when you're sat in front of that client and you're sort of trying to explain something to them that they didn't really know they wanted in that? sense they just want a nice new kitchen erica why are you talking to me about you know these these kind of concepts how easy is it to sell it to them i I think i don't think it works that way i think it's a it's a conversation it's an exploration and it's a degree of curiosity about who they are how they live what's valuable to them and what they don't know that they don't know and quite often clients find it really hard to articulate what it is that they want they're coming with a little bit frightened that you're not going to get them or understand what it is they want but they don't really know what it is they want themselves. So the only way you can find out is to have a conversation and to allow them to reveal things about themselves that they couldn't tell you themselves. And you explore what it is they want and then try and respond to that and give them information and choices to make that work within their context so that they can make sensible choices. You're not really trying to sell them anything. You're trying to provide them with the things that they need and want and do it as somebody who has the expertise to draw that out and create it for them. And do you think that you and your designers have the products available to them from manufacturers in those catalogues? Do you think they have the products available to them to achieve everything they want to achieve? Or or is the manufacturing side of the sector just lagging behind enough and making that difficult? I think I, I think it's a sort of two, it's a bit of a dance. And I think the, the appliance manufacturers are very sophisticated in looking at future trends and what's happening and trying to respond to things that aren't even in the air yet. So I think there's an awful lot that's going on that we don't even see. 
we don't I don't think don't believe we have everything that we need at the moment but we were talking about refrigeration before and cooling I think there's more that could be done there for example um, and I think it's a rapidly evolving field I see things that are happening in the professional world you think these things are going to trickle down but when is that going to happen um, but I think I think they're interested and I think some of them are really taking a lead in trying to be you know on the sustainable environmental side, really trying to think about what they're doing and, and right back to where we started, move beyond that conversation about this piece of you know kit is recyclable or will last for 20 years. So I think that conversation is becoming more sophisticated and led. But it's a it's an evolving process. So no, not everything's there yet, but we don't we don't know what we want yet either. All of it. <laughs> Erica, thank you so much for sparing us your very valuable time today. We, we've The clock's beaten us here. We're only scratching the surface of this kind of stuff, but I hope it does at least give a glimpse into, into the kind of areas that we're talking about and, and how your kitchen can help you lead a better life. So look, Erica, thank you again. My pleasure. Thank you very much. That was Erica Hussein from Daytrue, and it's such an interesting topic in it, and I always love these very conceptual ideas that filter down to practical day-to-day reality. So I'd love to know what you think. Drop me a line to let me know, as always. And don't forget your entries for the KBB Review Retail and Design Awards 2022. Go to kbbreview.com forward slash awards for all the details. Closing date, November 16th. See you next time.